welcome to the Faith and Science Podcast. My name is Tyler Bublitz, and welcome back for the 17th Sunday after Pentecost for the week of September 16th, 2018, and I'm excited to have you here. I'm excited to dig into this week. I am excited to be back again in Mark this week and to talk about who do you say that I am. But as we get into this week, I have to do my shameless plug for Working Preacher. If you haven't checked out Working Preacher, I'd highly recommend it. Between their Sermon Brainwaves podcast and the commentaries and different discussions that they have on their website, it's worth a watch. It's worth checking out and looking into. And if you haven't, I would highly recommend it. So if we get back into last week's podcast question. It was, are you okay with stepping out of your comfort zone? Are you okay with being an outcast? And this is something that I brought up at the end of last week, how I'm going into this and I'm stepping forth into this. And I think it actually carries very well into this week. When we look at where Jesus is going with this ministry and how this gospel reading here in Mark this week is kind of the turning point on where Mark's gospel goes, I think it's one of these things that we can continue to look at as Jesus as the outcast stepping out of his comfort zone to let some of his disciples in. So if we're going to give a preview like that, we might as well jump right into it. The gospel this week is out of Mark chapter 8 verses 27 through 38. And this is where Jesus presents his closest disciples with who do you say that I am? And they get the answers of some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, some others say another prophet. But he emphasizes to them, who do you say that I am? And that's where Peter says the Messiah. And it's so often that we hear this or the Christ. And it's actually a really interesting point in Mark's gospel. When Peter says the Messiah or Christ, depending on the translation that you have, it's only the second time in Mark's gospel that he has referred to the Christ. The only other time being right away at the introduction of the book explaining the book. So he has gone pretty much eight chapters without using Christ. And so here we have it resurfacing. And when it does, Jesus then explains what is going to happen, that he must suffer, that he is going to be handed over to the chief priest and die and then rise again. And this is where Peter then takes him aside later and says, you can't be doing this. You can't be saying this and then have this happen. Jesus then has the line of, get behind me, Satan, for you are setting your mind not on divine things, but human things. And this is where Jesus then explains and almost gets into a rant on where he is going and moving with this. Really sweet reading, and I'm really excited to dig into it, but we have to cover these other readings. The first reading this week is out of Isaiah chapter 50, verses 4 through 9a, and this is where we're talking about the tongue, which is going to tie into the second reading a lot, talking about how Jesus and God is working with us to hear the call and discern what he is putting forth in front of us, and that we need to be open to and listening for that, listening for the teacher, and making sure that when we're getting called, that we are moving then in the direction in which he is calling us. The alternative first reading is out of Proverbs chapter 1, verses 20 through 33. And this is a really unique 
reading because it's one of the few spots where Proverbs are probably written by Solomon and he is referring to wisdom in a female context. So it's one of these few spots in scripture where we get to look at God as a female. But I would say the verse that really stuck out to me when I was going through this is verse 29. Because they hated knowledge and did not choose to fear the Lord. And this kind of gets back into some of the things we've talked about in the last couple weeks of the idea of our knowledge outdoing what God can do at times and trying to put our cast and what we can understand and fit God within that box and not the other way around. That we are trying to understand God, but God is so much bigger than what we can understand. And that's where the choosing to fear the Lord, that fear, that unsettlingness of that God is bigger than what we understand. And that's okay. And that he is going to then work with us and be able to stretch us to where we need to go. The psalm this week is Psalm 116 verses 1 through 9. And again, it's this hearing of God, being able to distinguish and let the Lord come in, being able to know that we can come to the Lord in times of need. And it's, again, a great psalm that works together with this theme, this vibe that we have been building. The second reading is from James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. When we continue this work in James, and this is where we get this taming of the tongue and how important the tongue can be, but also how deceitful the tongue can be. That not everyone is tasked or called to be a teacher. That not everyone is called into this position. I would think one of the things that's really unique if you start looking at verse 11 through 12, does a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and blackish water? Can a fig tree, my brothers and sisters, yield olives or a grapevine figs? No more than salt water can yield fresh. So this idea of, again, living within this theme that James has been talking about, that if you're going to say about something, then do it. And he's then adding to this here that you have to have your words match your actions. What you're saying that you're going to do, then you need to do. And making sure that you keep the narrative consistent. And this is where I think... When we look at this gospel text, I think there's a lot of really unique things that we can look at here. Who do you say that I am? So it's Jesus asking the disciples who they think he is. I would really love to ponder for a moment if Jesus flipped that around on us. Who do you say that you are? And I think as we were in this context, in this mind space, I think we would say a Christian. But I would think about then... Jesus' response to us saying that. That means that you're going to go through persecution. That means you're going to fight for my name. You're going to be put in difficult situations. You're going to be placed in these things that are uncomfortable. Are you okay with that? And would we be like Peter denying this? One of the things that I've kind of also thought about this a lot on is when we are contemplating and thinking about Who are we as Christians and how are we kind of, again, embodying this role that we've been getting preached from James of making sure our words and our actions are being reciprocated, making sure that they are lining up. I think about one of the first things that God tells us to do in Genesis is to take care of his creation. So if we're going to say, again, another answer that we could easily say to who do you say that you are is a child of God. 
And if we're a child of God, if we look back to those Genesis readings, we are called to be a gardener. We are called to be a tenant of taking care of this creation that is not ours. And one of the things that's really frustrating for me is the word dominion in chapter 1. When you have that Genesis story, the word dominion is actually a pretty poor translation. And a lot of theologians have gone over and talked about how this isn't the same dominion that we associate now with dominion. More like dominion in the regards to working with the land or working with it so that things can flourish, not in the way of pure domination over everything. And I think as we contemplate and we think about this from the science perspective, I think that's one of the things we can really associate well with. And I think it's one of the things as humans we struggle the most with is understanding that we are part of the creation that yes we were given the role of tending to the garden but is the gardener not part of the garden when we appreciate a garden and you have master gardeners you appreciate their garden but they're still associated with the garden because it was their work we as human beings i think for the most part love disassociating ourselves from our work we have been called to be tenants to god's creation meaning that we need to take care of it. We need to be able to work the land and be able to work within the means of what is being put in front of us. But we don't want to say that we're part of nature. Think about how a city is built. Cities are built and then as they expand, it looks more and more like nature is in the way. We put maybe small pockets so that we feel like we're maybe experience the outdoors, but we're not part of nature. That's wild. That's rustic. We're not that. We're smart, sophisticated. This is growth. This is development. Is that really the case? Look at Jesus' time where you had these cities, but what was the way to be able to get between cities you walked? What was done in that walking time? Contemplation. There's probably lots of conversations that we don't have between Jesus and his disciples. That's where a lot of the teaching probably happened was on the road in the wilderness, going through these different places, seeing different things, seeing nature interact with God's creation. We are called to be tenants of that. We are called to be gardeners of that. And looking at this creation and being able to see how we can help it prosper. One of the things, and I'll see if I can find a photo of, and I know it's kind of difficult, but it's something you can probably picture pretty well, is working with animals in like Africa. One of the pictures that I've heard about is like lions and how their territories have been shrinking more and more and how at times we're getting National Geographic going out and taking pictures of these lions, but in the background you can see shanty towns which are leading into cities. This animal that we associate with the sub-Saharan Africa and the openness and pure domination is being wrapped up in human civilization. And we find more and more how we're having problems with these high-end predators roaming in the cities because they have nothing to eat anymore. Because their food is gone. Because we have encroached on their habitat, their land, that God has given to them. Yet we are supposed to be taken care of, but are we? Another example that I'll bring up, it's actually a really cool example. My significant other lives down in Phoenix, and there's this really cool Audubon Center there called Rio Salado. And at Rio Salado, there is 
They've been working to restore this old riverbed to kind of give it some rustic vibe. And one of the things that has started to disappear in Phoenix areas particularly, but at times even just within Arizona, is the burrowing owl. And burrowing owls, they're adorable. They're these 10-inch high owls that instead of living in trees, dig burrows and live underground. And so at Rio Salado, to try to do this, to integrate these owls into this chunk of land, they're making man-made burrows with PVC pipe and designing a little family and then letting bringing in some owls and then letting the owls reproduce and discover these other burrowing units that they've made. And I've gone there and I've taken pictures. And for me, just when I go and take pictures, I'm trying to make it look rustic. I'm trying to make it look like I'm out in the woods. I'm trying to hide as much of the human interaction that I can as I'm 30 feet from these owls and trying to get, so I'm just showing like, yup, I went hiking. I went deep into nature to find these owls. And I took my girlfriend, Sarah, with me and she's from Phoenix. And I remember reviewing the photos that she took and I felt they told a much better story. And all it was, was this owl perched, looking over and you can tell it's not that far from its burrow, but behind it as the sun is rising is the skyline of Phoenix, showing how we have this conflict of interest. We're having these owls that we're trying to bring back, we're trying to show their importance and making sure that they can stay quote-unquote modern with our modern society. But the fight that they're fighting as we have encroached on their native habitat, where they were living and we are supposed to be taken care of, and we're trying, and it's a fight. This separation between us as human beings and nature is causing, to me, so many issues and problems within ourselves one of the things i've thought about a lot that i it's really kind of scary is if you've watched the jungle book and you look at the animals that are in the jungle book you have tigers highly endangered species now orangutans highly endangered species which is one of our closest genetic cousins is the orangutan But we don't look at the orangutan like a close cousin. We look at them as just some ape, just some thing. And don't look at what we could be learning, what what amazing things that through studying them, we might be able to discover about ourselves. And that's what's scary to me. Who do you say that I am? Who would Jesus say that you are? Or if who would you say that you are? If we're going to say that we are children of God, then we have to be able to face the tough reality of are we living up to the mission? The mission, yes, is sharing God's message with other people. And that is the message of what we're doing. But the actions like what we've been talking about with James is that we then need to appreciate God's creation. We have to be able to show and work with what God has provided us and his creation. Just because our books of the Bible focuses on us being created, it never does state that we are significantly above the rest of his creation. There's still importance in this creation. One of the things that I am very passionate about with reading the, especially the second chapter of Genesis, talking about the creation story of 
God giving us the job of naming the animals, naming the plants, the animals, his creation. He's the Lord of all. He's omnipotent. He could have easily told us what things were, but he gives us that task. I think it's so quick that we glaze over that, that we forget this. The importance of naming something. Because once it has a name, it's significant. Jesus is asking, what are people calling me? Who do you call me? When they're saying then, you are the Messiah, this is who we have been waiting for. They're putting a name to it. Jesus then says, with that task, with that responsibility, with that that I have been given, comes responsibility for me to do this. And the human side of us, like we see from Peter, says, I don't want to do that. But I'm a Christian, and I'm just told to work with people. And I do my best with recycling and all these things to try to make sure the environment's good, but my focus is on people. I would argue that that's not entirely the truth. We are called to be gardeners. We are called to maintain. We are called to just like tenants that we find in other places in the gospel, talking about how we are told to take care of this place, help it flourish. How well are we helping all of this flourish? And I'm not saying that any of us is without wrong here. Me, even being an environmentalist myself, there are plenty of things that I do on a consistent basis that I should adjust, modify, so that I'm not making as big of an impact on the environment. That I should make sure that I am stepping out and going on birding trips on my off days or getting out into nature on my off days to enjoy the creation that God has given me because that is just as much a gift. When we don't separate ourselves so directly from nature, we start realizing how similar we really are to it and how much we can learn from it. Just one quick example, if you have ever taken an aspirin, you can thank creation for that. Aspirin is modeled off of a specific type of willow tree that biologists observed different animals would go and gnaw on for pain relief. We then studied it, figured out the chemical compound for it, and then try making pills or more ready version of it. Aspirin was not just something that was created in a lab. It was first created in nature through observation. These are the things that we can learn if we realize that we are just as much a part of the creation as God creating us. In the world that we're in today, nature is one of the things that can really unite us. Migratory birds, I think, are a great uniter within our communities because they don't see these human-made boundaries of countries. They know that I must fly from my breeding ground to my winter habitat. And so an oriole in Wisconsin or Minnesota is going to fly to Colombia, Costa Rica, and it might fly through five to seven countries to do that. Those five to seven countries right now, at times, have very different environmental policy. But there are different organizations working with migration to try to help so that we can get so they don't get confused on what's going on. We can tend to this place. It helps us show our identity in Christ. Who do you say that I am? I'm a Christian. Part of the way that I do that is by showing that I care for what's around me. 
not just human-made, natural-made. Even though there might be irritants there, there's things I can learn from them. When was the last time you asked these types of questions and thought about things this way? Because I know I don't even do this very well all the time. My tongue and my actions don't always line up. And so to do that, I'm going to strive to work better on this. Can you? So the Twitter question this week, I'd love to ask you, where are some discrepancies that you find with how we say we're something and we maybe don't quite match up with that? For me, like when I'm thinking about who do you say that I am, I would say that I'm a Christian. And for me, part of my Christian walk is taking care of the environment around me. And I don't feel that I always do a great job with that. So I'll put up on the Twitter question, who do you say that I am? And I'd love to hear your responses. If you're not on Twitter, and our Twitter handle is Faith and Sci Pod, Faith, A-N-D-S-C-I-P-O-D. And if not, you're getting this pretty much with an email. Reach out, just shoot me an email. I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to have this correspondence back and forth. It's from that we can grow and work together as a community as we strive forward to try to be able to grow as a Christian community. So, we'll wrap this up as we always do. I pray God blesses you through your faith and amazes you through science.